Welcome to the Same But Different podcast, a show that celebrates humanity, the ways we love others, the ways we keep love from coming in. We're going to dig deep. This show brings a dash of vulgarity and a whole lot of audacity to the Enneagram. If you're looking to know yourself on a deeper level, nurture healthier relationships, foster richer connections, and improve communication to make that happen, then you're in the right place, my friend. Hi, I'm your host, Amy, Enneagram alchemist and a fiercely supportive sister stepping in stride beside you. Are you ready to feel fucking seen? Are you ready to see others? Because I'm ready to ask those questions. The very things we're trying to avoid are exactly what we need to embrace in order to grow. So kick back. Take off your bra, get comfy, and let's fucking do this. All right, welcome back to the Same But Different podcast. I am very excited to have my friend and my personal Enneagram coach on, Melissa Kircher. Welcome, Melissa. We're very excited to have you. I am so excited to be here. Thank you. I I had... um. Melissa leads with type five and she, we were talking about the podcast the other day and she said, you know, she honors confidentiality in her practice and probably just as a human as well. Um, and she had said, you know, she would not be, uh, mentioning that we had worked together unless I wanted to. And I said, oh, I'm definitely going to right off the bat, tell people that and brag about that and brag about her. So Melissa is an author, a writer an incredibly talented artist. We have to talk about your art at some point on this episode. If you you. are on Instagram, you have to follow her. All of the links for all of the ways to connect with her will be in the show notes below when you listen to this episode. But on Instagram, she is Enneagram Paths. And one of the many things I love about her content is you, all of that art is original, right? Yes, all of it is original. I was an artist before the Enneagram. So yeah. It kind of blended in naturally. So it's not mine's in Canva. <laughs> mine's pre-made. And yeah. okay, well, some of it's Canva. Like the, if it looks artsy, it's mine. But then we also love the Canva. So so there are some posts that if they look kind of more plain, that's that's Canva. And we adore that as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of talent in this one human. Um, so she's here to talk about reparenting and the Enneagram. And I had not even heard of reparenting until maybe a few years ago. So I'd love to just kind of start with what the hell is reparenting? What the hell is reparenting? That's a good question. Actually, there's a lot of different variations of it. Um, When it first started out, therapists, it's a therapy modality that has kind of morphed out into everywhere, into coaching, into lots of different kinds of avenues. And at where it began, I, I feel uncomfortable with where it began, but I love where it is now, where a therapist would take on a role as a parent to um, a patient, sometimes even in a um, institution, like living together and sort of redo, create a safe, loving environment. And so that's kind of, you know, everything in, in therapy modalities shifts and changes. So over the years, it's shifted and changes it. And now it's mostly the kind of reparenting that I do is um, self-reparenting, which is accessing the wise inner adult to go back to basically anything that was painful in the past. And the past can be the far, far, far past when you're like one, two, three, when you can remember, you know, early, early, 
or it can be like last week. So it's taking the you of now and moving back in time in an imaginative kind of way. So tapping into our minds and our bodies and our hearts and using our imaginations to imagine going back to those moments and having the wise inner you self now, you know, whatever you want to call it, the self, the true self, the authentic self. But a lot of people just say adult me now. Um, accessing those points and times that mattered, that were painful, that might have not gotten the attention and care that they deserved and giving the younger you not only the attention and the care, but a listening ear, allowing the younger you to say what you needed to say, what you needed from an adult in that situation, or even from just an adult that's a little bit older, right? Um, so it's a way to heal some of that pain because you know you better than anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. You explain that so well. And I love that you thank you put the language to it that it is based on like a therapy modality. Because when I asked, I did a, a little story on Instagram a while ago and just asked if people knew what reparenting was when I knew you were going to come on just to see. And I got a lot of responses from people who didn't know what it was. And they said, well, I imagine it's some kind of like the overarching response was, oh, it's some kind of woo-woo spiritual thing. So I'm really glad to hear the language around the fact that it's right, like a psychotherapy based kind of modality. So I think that's really important. This is not, it's not woo-woo work. I've, Melissa has done this with me. We've done it several times and you are, you said the word healing. That's exactly what it is exactly what it is. Do you have clients that walk away and share, is there an overarching theme of people walking away and like the experience afterwards, whether that's really healing, some kind of release, validation, maybe all of the above? All of the above. Uh, it's a full spectrum. And I think what's really important that I've learned um, both from my experiences of learning it in my certification process, but then also being coached. And also it ties in a little bit to EMDR therapy. So I've undergone EMDR therapy, which is amazing in its own right. They tie in together a little bit. Um, so undergoing it myself, what I've learned is it's really important for whoever is being the coach or the therapist in that, in this space to understand that what happens is internal for the client, for the person that's doing the reparenting work. It is so much internal. It's in their body, it's in their heart, and it's in their mind. And so, and I can't necessarily see all of that. So what I have to do is trust that I'm not going to know all the information, nor do I need to know all the information. So sometimes people walk away or they come out of the, the moment, the session, and they say nothing. And they got nothing. And that's totally fine. And then later on, they might tell me little tidbits. It might be really impactful for them, but they don't necessarily always say it. That's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is like <gasps> full body, like chills, crying, happy, sad, you know, like the whole like exuberance, you know, like a really big response. And then wanting to share everything that just happened to them down to the last detail because it was so meaningful. So it really just depends on the person. It, it can even depend on the day. It, it, it changes yeah. 
every time I do it, even with the same person. So it's, I, in, in general, people tend to report a feeling of release, a, a physical somatic sensation of release um, that they find generally to be good. <laughs> that makes any sense. Not maybe a little uncomfortable, but still good. Yeah. Like a good feeling. It, uh, when we did it, we, I don't know if we did it more than twice. I don't, I don't think we did it every session. Um, no. we did, we went back to my teenage years one time. I remember I was in high school and one time and I was a child and another time. And I had never done reparenting work before. No, I had done it one other time on a whim. I didn't know it was coming. It was out of nowhere. And I didn't know what it was either. It was just, they did it. And afterwards they explained that it was reparenting. Um, it, it just, I remember feeling so seen and validated because a lot of my childhood, I didn't feel that way. Right. And so that was for me, at least my walk away, the healing was, my God, I felt so seen and so loved. And oh, it was very, a very beautiful, very gentle experience. There was nothing uncomfortable about it for me. Again, this is just my one human experience. Um, but I can just see it being such a big benefit for people in their, in their healing journey, if they feel called to it. Totally. Yeah. So did you, did you come across the Enneagram first or the, or reparenting first? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Enneagram first. I don't think I put them together though until coaching came my way and I was in my certification program. And then they, and it wasn't really even a conscious decision. It was just part of my certification. And then um, I experienced it with my coach. I was part of a coaching fellowship called the Women's Impact Alliance. And my coach was using it with me and she knew about the Enneagram and she didn't put them together. She didn't use the Enneagram and reparenting together. Um, but her having me experience reparenting for myself, it's like the wheels started turning in my little five brain. And eventually I started including it in my practice with consent. You know, I would explain it to people when it felt appropriate. So people usually come to me for Enneagram and I only introduce re reparenting when it feels like it's an appropriate time. So Enneagram first for sure. And then reparenting later, if, and when it's appropriate, but okay. I think they go together in a really beautiful way, honestly. Uh, again, only my one experience, but looking at my sessions of it, all I see are my type structure showing up in it. Right. Yeah. I think your type structure gives you a quicker access to some of those not, you don't have to go through trauma. Like you said, it does, it's not like EMDR where you really do process a lot of trauma. You can really go back to just little things, you know, that need attention and love and care. And it doesn't have to be this dredging through the past kind of experience. And your Enneagram type, the ego structure gives you like these quick pathways down into the deeper levels, almost faster than you might be able to get to with like talk therapy, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I was going to ask where the intersection for those two happened for you. So we covered that. I think that's, yeah. I think it's great when it happens organically. You're like, Ooh, Ooh, this is kind of meant to just flow together. Yeah. Yeah. It was a fun discovery. Yeah. 
I will, I think I will forever be a student of the Enneagram. And I don't know the word I'm looking for. I'm always going to be looking for other things to intersect it with. Like what else can come with this? What else can I tie this? It's just so powerful. I agree. I'm forever going to be a student of all the things as well. (laughs) Again, (laughs) such a five, right? Like I'll always be learning. (laughs) Well, you had mentioned trauma and I wanted to just touch on that. You know, if someone's listening and they think, ah, should I hire Melissa? The answer is yes. But if someone is wanting to come to you for reparenting for, for trauma specifically, or for a traumatic experience, is that something that you can do or you offer? That's a great question. And I love it because it's really important to me to identify where is the moral and ethical line between coaching and therapy. And so I am trauma informed. So yes, people can come to me and bring traumatic instances. However, I am always going to be on the lookout um, for if we get to places where I know that a therapist would be a better fit, whether the trauma is much more specific, like let's talk rape, sexual assault, um, terminal diagnoses of medical issues, you know, things that are really, really best done with a trauma specialist and a therapist who has a different kind of training, has clinical, um, they can clinically diagnose things and even a a psychologist, a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist who is able to have medical interventions if needed. I don't have that. I'm a coach. So I'm trauma informed and I can do a certain amount, but I will always be honest with my clients and say, Hey, you know, this came up. I think this would be better served for you to find a therapist who, who does reparenting and trauma processing. Thank you for that. And you did that for me, right? I mean, that was I think you did that for you, which I want to commend you um, (laughs) knowing that and being a two and being like, this is what I need. It's like, yes, yes. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And there's, I just find like there's room for it all. Right. I mean, it has to make sense. It's going to be different for every single person. Take the Enneagram out of it altogether. Right. It's all your healing journey is, is so unique for every human, but there's room for all of it. I do CRT, like cellular release therapy. I've worked with you. I've worked with my therapist. I've done somatic release. Yeah. There's never, I don't know. I don't ever want to be in a box when it comes to a healing journey. A thousand percent. And I think that's the point is that there's so many different kinds of healing modalities that it's really up to each individual to find out what's right for them at the right time. And that ebbs and changes, there's different seasons. And so Um, my goal is always to be the right person at the right time for somebody. And when that changes, like all the blessings and love go with you. And I'll always be honest about that. And I love it. Everything's great. (laughs) I love all the therapy, all the different modalities. It's all worthwhile. It's all worthy. It all has its place. So a fan of it all. I agree. And I think we come into it whenever we're meant to, right? You and I work together when we were meant to. Yes. I was back to my therapist when I was meant to. I'm sure I'll work with yes. you again in the future. I know I'll work with you again in the future. And that, again, it'll all happen whenever it's meant to. Yeah. There's something to the whole flow thing that everybody talks about. The whole flow thing. <laughs> the whole flow thing. So let's get into, I had asked, um, 
I always try and prep people before these episodes. I hate for people to come on completely unprepared. Um, and I so appreciated that you said, I don't need a bunch of questions. Don't send me a list. Don't send me a bunch of bullet points. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but I did ask the question, what would each type come to you or come to reparenting for each Enneagram type structure? So I would love to kind of go through the nine types in whatever order you want and touch on that. I think it could be really powerful for someone who's listening to this to hear like, oh, I'm a type three. What what are some things I could come to that for, come to you for, or reparenting in general for? Yeah, I loved that question. And again, in, in true five fashion, I had to have a little think about it. Yeah. <laughs> and as I was thinking, um, I really tried to go into my actual lived experience with each type versus just, oh, my head knowledge, what, what I've seen embodied as people come. Um, embodiment is really big for me. Like what do actual real people come with versus what you learn in a book, right? And um, so I asked your permission and you graciously said yes, because I wrote down a couple of sentences for each type. So if you hear, this is audio, obviously, my voice is gonna change because I'm gonna read. Um, what I wrote for each type. And then um, I told Amy that I told you that you can um, ask any questions and go, we can go deeper and pick apart anything that you want to. Sure. Um, so I'd love to start with type one for no particular reason other than that's where I just tend to start. Some people start with nines always. Um, I tend to start with ones. So if that's okay. That's sure. Good. All right. Um, so I wrote for type one, a reason, so these are reasons that type ones might seek out reparenting. Um, and in my experience, it's because a couple of reasons. The first one being that the inner critic has become so loud because ones tend to experience the inner critic as either loud or quiet. And when the inner critic is loud, it tends to be a bit harder for ones. That's when they move into their stress space of four. So it feels more melancholy to them. Um, they get more in touch with darker emotions and linking to the past with that four type of stress energy. And because of that, they start to discover that they have these wounds that they want to now address that before in their type one space, they might not have been feeling as deeply. Um, so that's why they might come. As they get into it, I think it's important to note that many ones tend to report, um, especially when talking about parents, they don't report their parents as abusive or neglectful. It, it usually is wanting to reparent these child versions of themselves because there was this pain of parents or caregivers not accepting their oneness. They describe their parents, caregivers, friends, siblings, and institutions like school as being too lax, like too chaotic, not doing things well. And these baby ones, these childhood ones felt this need of like, I know how to do this better, or I know what's right. Let me do what's right. And no one let them. So they want to heal the pain of people not letting them be free to enact the rules that they wanted for themselves or for the other people, the adults in their life to be as strict or boundaried as the ones felt that they needed as children. Um, 
one thing I also noted was they tend to first need to um, differentiate between the adult self and the inner critic, often like needing to name their inner critic so that the inner critic doesn't go back and try to reparent. It's the adult self and they can differentiate between the two. And then they can trust that adult self and go back to the child self in a, in an easier way. I love that. I always talk to ones about naming their inner critic, not for that reason though, just to give it a name and a voice. But I think that's so important, right? To really differentiate, is this me? Mm-hmm. This is my inner critic. And I can see that being incredibly important in reparenting. Cause I'm sure that inner critic likes to take over. Yeah, it does. And it's really hard because someone's report the inner critic as the self like at first. And it takes a little bit of work to say, because they hear it as their own voice. Someone say, no, I hear a totally different voice, but someone's hear the critic as their own voice. So to have that part of themselves go back and try to reparent in a healing way would actually be destructive. So it's actually really important to have that, those two parts be separate and for them to choose who's going back in time. To, to bring the healing. Just sitting here picturing little ones just wanting to do well and have order in the world. They're like, this is fucking chaos. Everyone yes. get it together. And they're yes. not wrong. They're not wrong. It is chaos. <laughs> I know. So true. So true. Really wrong. Like really. Okay, do you want to go to, to my people, to the twos? Sure. Type twos, the special ones, like Amy. <laughs> please. All the twos are like, no, no. Oh my gosh. That's why we have to call you special <laughs> even more. Okay. So for type twos, um, in my experience, again, um, they might seek reparenting after getting more in touch with their inner world through self-guided work or after working with a, with a coach or therapist, um, using kind of regular cognitive behavioral therapy or talk therapy, the two starts to go, oh, I have more of a sense of me. And then they kind of want to dive into like healing some of the stuff that they didn't realize that was there. Um, once they sense and learn about the adult self, like who they are now, there tends to be a curiosity about why they are the way they are. When that curiosity is kind of peaked, there's often a floodgate of memories about the past that come rushing in. They have kept these painful memories at bay because it does not serve the type two, I am always likable and available image they cultivate to be loved. So the I am always likable and available is I'm doing my little air quotes thing because that's the image that that twos really like to project but also believe in. Um, Not in a bad way to be loved, to keep them safe, right? Everything is about keeping the self safe. Um, In reparenting, twos often process memories of not getting the love and attention they needed, being told they were too much or their needs were too much. Or they absorb the message in key moments that they were not worthy of love by just being themselves. They often have the adult self going back to younger selves and being a caregiver so that the child self feels released from the role of self-abnegation, which is almost like disassociating from the self. The child self says, I'm, I'm, and almost doesn't know them. They don't know themselves, even as children. Don't say. Um, <laughs> um 
sometimes twos in um, reparenting ask for extra helpers because they don't find that the adult self who they are now doesn't feel as fully capable of believing they're lovable just yet, which I honestly think is beautiful because it's like the helpers asking for help in reparenting. So they'll ask for, can I imagine, um, sometimes they imagine like if you believe in spiritual woo things, they will imagine like a spirit guide. Some people ask, some twos ask animals to come in. Sometimes they ask for older relatives that they know and trust. Um, so that tends to be the case. It's not for every single two, but um, for a lot of twos. Yeah. So everything other than, um, and I'm just sharing very vulnerably here, I'm happy to share this piece of my reparenting work. Um, everything you said, other than the dissociating, I don't think I experienced, or the caregiving, I really didn't experience that as a child. Um, everything else, <laughs> everything else. Glennon Doyle was my helper. We came up with a helper for one of oh, my- Oh, yeah. It was yes. Glennon Doyle. It was so, Glennon Doyle. I wanted it to be a four. I wanted it to be a four because for me, going to those darker places is very hard for me. And I typically have a good friend, Brie, who goes there with me. She's a, She leads with four. Um, but we didn't want to bring Brie into it. So Glennon Doyle was my helper. And yes, yeah, that's so interesting to hear that. Do you think, so since two's defense mechanism, right, how we really keep ourselves safe is repression. Is that where this is stemming from the, I mean, this was my path, everything you said, right? Like the doing mm -hmm. a little bit of inner work, whether that's therapy, whatever it might be, release work, kind of leading to reparenting. Do you think it's because we've started to kind of dig into our repression and we're like, oh, wait, here's a, a lot more we can actually be working on. Yeah. I think because twos live in the, I am likable and I will help you world. And I know that's so like stereotypical, but it's stereotypical oh. for a reason. It's because oh. for twos, like that really is like the waters that twos swim in. And it, if that is the main focus of, of attention and energy, there's no room for everything that hurt. Like there's just no room for that. Right. So when you get back in touch with the pain of maybe I'm, I'm not likable to some people, I can't make everybody like me, or you go into therapy because of maybe something that happens. Maybe there's an event that happens where like the ego can't figure it out. Right. Or you go into therapy for one thing and you realize you get in touch with yourself a bit getting in touch with yourself because it's yourself brings the wholeness of that to being. And that is all the good stuff and all of the stuff that hurts. So they, they go together. So yeah, a lot of times twos go in for something like to get in touch with themselves and they realize, Oh, there's all this stuff that I kind of repressed and pushed aside for a while. Not consciously, not right. consciously. Yeah. It's a completely unconscious mechanism to keep you safe. I plan to do a whole, and then we'll get to threes, but I do plan to do a whole episode, probably a series with my friend Brie, who specializes in all sorts of trauma modalities. But I used to tell people I had no trauma. I was like, I have any trauma. I really mm -hmm. thought I had none. And my therapist was the first time I told her that she said, okay, like they do, <laughs> like they do. Uh-huh. And it's um, almost every number you are 
about yourself. It's just the wildest, it's the wildest journey. And if you're too listening, it's not an easy journey, but it's a worthwhile journey. It's a life-changing journey. If you're wanting to go that route to learn yourself, it's worth it. I agree. And you should 100%. Call, we'll call Melissa. She'll help you. I will help you. Yeah. yeah. And if I can't, I will help you find somebody you can. Absolutely. Okay. Let's Great. talk about. Let's talk All right. About. Threes. Um, okay. So threes might seek out reparenting because they heard about it and it seems like a way to get results real quick. <laughs> like, ah. honestly, threes come into therapy. Um, I have a lot of friends who are therapists. So we do a lot of talking about like, not about clients, but just like the overarching patterns of things. And an overarching pattern has been that threes, one, don't tend to do a lot of therapy. And two, when they come in, um, they're either good at it in a performative way because they want to be good at it because they want to get the gold star from like the, the coach or the therapist. Um, or two, because they're ready, but they want it fast. So honestly, you have to meet the three there. And frankly, reparenting is a modality that can meet a three in the getting results fast kind of thing. Like with EMDR, it's a long process. You have to go with the EMDR um, practitioner through the process of mapping out your whole life, which takes a while, and identifying key moments in which to do EMDR, which includes bilateral stimulation and reprocessing the traumatic memory to restore it properly. It's a long process. With reparenting, you can kind of say, oh, this thing bothers me. The practitioner um, of reparenting can say, okay, well, would you feel safe going there? You can say yes, and you can gently go into it and gently come out of it. And there can be real results from it quickly. Um, so I would say a three coming in to this modality would get a bit of, if, they, if they're willing to go anywhere, they, they will get, they can get a result in one session. Um, often deeper results will take more sessions with threes. Um, they also tend to come because they start to feel twinges of their emotional self emerging. Um, and they get curious about the root of these feelings. Like they're not used to having a lot of feelings. And then they're like, well, what is the root of these feelings? And, or the feelings start to impede their success in life. Like the feelings are getting in, in the way of the doing and they want more of the doing. So they're like, I need something to help me figure out what to do with the feeling so I can get back to doing, which is fine. Like also sometimes they report that there is a child self. They actually have access to a child self that feels like it wants to be seen. So that's been an interesting thing to note in working with threes. That was like a surprise. Um, in the reparenting, threes often report situations in life or school or with caregivers where they felt ignored or shamed for being their honest, authentic, emotional, and sometimes weird little selves. Mm -hmm. um, and that shame felt like too much to bear. So what they end up doing is working to go back to that like little three child self and validating them, giving them a sense of worthiness, helping them to feel loved as exactly who they are, that they don't need to prove anything. They don't need to become someone else. And when they do that, um, the results tend that they want to have tend to actually come a lot faster for three. So, um, 
I find it to be kind of magical with threes because they're actually so um, childlike when they get back because it's been, that also has been repressed for so long with threes. They really repress who they really are and try to be who everybody wants them to be. And they find delight in going back and finding that child self and allowing that child self to be embodied both back then. And then some of their interests from childhood tend to come back in adulthood. It's kind of cool. I love that. Like I just, that made my heart feel so tender for them. Like, especially since to your point is a modality that they can get those results in a more efficient way. That's still exactly how they're supposed to get it. It's not in a rushed way, right? Like not rushing through anything. It's we yeah. can session. You can at least touch on, right. Something one thing session. Yeah, yeah. One, one session. And to your point, that's not, that's rarely the case probably in a lot of other modalities. So I love that for them. Mm-hmm. deserve to get in touch with that inner child self and that playful self and the real them, the real them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it feel shine. like loved. Let it shine. The weirdest. Let it shine. Coming yes. up. Yeah. I wonder if you're going to say the opposite for force. <laughs> like, like, I wonder if force feel like it doesn't go deep enough. Oh, hmm. No, they don't. Okay, actually. good. Yeah. <laughs> I had to think about it. that was my pause everybody I paused um I was thinking Amy's seeing me think that I was I was looking up thinking um no type fours go just as deep yeah okay, okay. yeah I know Should those we... in my life want to just go as deep as possible always um and I have coached some fours that no matter how deep we go it's not deep enough ever ever oh they don't report that they don't report that it's not deep enough not that I reparent, I want to be clear. I don't do reparenting work with clients. So yeah, yeah, completely different. I'm not taking them back or anything. So, okay. Do we want to get to fours? Sure. Um, well, they do go deep for sure. Immediately. Um, actually not, let me caveat that. So like I, without getting into all the subtypes, this was the one that I actually did mention a subtype simply because of what you just said about fours and going deep. Um, two of the subtypes of fours, the um, sexual and social will go deep real fast. Um, Self-preservation fours um, take a little bit longer um, in coaching to open up because they're, they keep all of the pain and they put it inside because for them, it feels too dangerous to um, share it with people. So they have the same inner rich world as the other two fours, but instead of having it be outward, it's very inward focused. And sometimes you see, that's why fours and sevens, oddly enough, can be mistyped because the self-preservation four can put on a very joyful, happy, bubbly, even sometimes seven or two look very much like a seven or a two because they're taking all of that pain and and pushing it inside. Um, They seek reparenting because in my experience, because they are very used to looking into the past and finding it lacking. So they're very used to living in the world of their past, like, and, and seeing what's missing. They usually come with a very long list of like things to work through. (laughs) Like they come with like a binder, you know, like, you know, you always see with ones with binders, fours have like their journals and they're, they're like, I've got this stuff. And, and they want to reparent it because they feel like that will give the attention that they didn't get, 
which is really, really true. It's a, a really um, authentic way for force to find healing. Um, when they get to their little selves, um, they often cite feeling again, too much and not enough. Um, at the same time, actually, and, and getting that sometimes verbally from people, people verbally saying like in the span of a day, somebody saying you're too much or, or you're not enough. Like Forrest will often hear that as children, like a lot, um, which falls under the too much umbrella. Yeah. And it's, and it's really terrible because they're living in such a rich world as children and to be told either you're too much or not enough really solidifies this feeling of I'm an other, right? There's something missing within, within me and I'm other, which is not the case. Um, they, they're just more sensitive than, and they have a more complex way of understanding um, so when the adult self tends to talk to the, the, the younger self, what's interesting is that they tend to find inner reserves of strength, confidence, and joy that had been in hiding. They allow the adult self to see in a very full and complex and nuanced way, this child. And because they're doing this for themselves, it's like the, the understanding that they're seeking from everyone in the world, they finally get because it's them understanding themselves and they get that and they're like, oh, so like those missing pieces begin to like be put into place and they realize they have all of these things they've been longing for all of this time. And what tends to come up is actually that list, that binder, that journal it, it starts to be like, oh, I don't actually need to go back through that. It like the list gets shorter and they sort of blossom and get gain this confidence and move out quicker than some of the other types and go, I have less to work through than I thought actually. And they just really start to shine and it's just amazing and wonderful. How beautiful is that to think, right? Because they do feel like they're missing so much. So to think, okay, here's everything that's missing in me, Melissa, my big binder what a, a relief, a release. It's got to be validating as hell to be like, huh, there's really not anything missing or a lot less missing. I don't know. I don't know how, yeah. deep, right. How, not deep, but how much acceptance they've been leaning into around nothing's missing, but to realize I'm a lot more whole than I realized. Yeah. They'd probably be more on the like 80%. <laughs> yeah. Which is, <laughs> and, <still> but <laughs> that's better. You know, if you come in at 4% and you, and you're like, oh no, I've been at 80. Like, wow. Like think about how they, they're more embodied. They're more empowered. They're more like juiced up, joyed up. And they're like, wow. So yeah, it's really cool to see. It's really cool. Give me all the force, all the force, all of them. Yeah. All right. They're so awesome. Let's talk about so your type, people. My people type type me type five um <laughs> often type five seek out reparenting because we've read about it <laughs> that makes a lot of sense right um we've either read about it we've researched about it we've heard about it and it seems like promising and effective like we're interested and we're like want it because it seems like oh it'll we like to get our little antennas into things um or honestly, sometimes um, finding that other modalities have been lacking. So have tried something else and it's like not good enough and they'll just try something else. 
So sometimes if I would be like, oh, I'll give it a whirl, right? Um, for fives, I found that it's often not the method itself at first that they need, but a trust that the coach or therapist they are working with or the practitioner of any sort, because anybody can do reparenting. Honestly, your friends can do reparenting with you or your partner. Um, trust that who you're working with in reparenting can keep up with them. They need the, the, the practitioner to be quick, smart, and able to connect often disparate sounding stories or events, which are actually not disparate, but deeply interwoven. So once the trust is gained, the fives are usually going back to memories where they felt that being themselves was unacceptable, that they had to hide, or that their very real needs were not being met. They would ask for these needs to be met and be denied, and this formed very deep wounds. Um, reparenting is often felt physically and emotionally for fives. So you would think it would be a mental thing, but for fives, it's actually the thing that we repress, which is our bodies and our emotions. Um, so they tend to feel a release physically and, and emotionally. Um, once they have the adult self interact with the younger self, they often feel much more capable because they're seeing their adult self be capable of healing the younger self, which empowers the whole being. And then they find this bravery in being in the world more like the healing of the younger self also tends to give the adult self more confidence to go outward more in the world. Bravery of being in the world more. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think yeah. that, I mean, that's an embodied five, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's part of embodiment for a five. It's a turtle putting its little squishy parts out of the shell. <laughs> you always use the turtle analogy for fives. I love it so much. <laughs> It's, I don't know. It resonates with me. I mean, I have a lot of animals I resonate with, but I think a turtle is like a pretty good. And we, we have the shell and we suck in our, all our squishy parts. Yeah. And sometimes we come out and we come out slowly, but we get there. Okay. You want to go on to sixes. Type six. Okay. Type sixes come to reparenting usually because they've already identified core wounds in their past whether that's just in themselves, self-work that they've done on their own, reading books, or, you know, there's a lot of self-help resources out there or with a therapist or co another coach. Um, usually they don't trust themselves to deal with it on their own. So reparenting seems like a, a boundary thing that has structure to it that they can insert themselves into to feel safe. Um, at first, they tend to rely on the coach, like rely on me more to guide the reparenting session verbally, like do a lot of the verbal, okay, this is, you know, and then this is what happens. And then th what could happen now? Like they really rely on somebody else, but as they get more comfortable, I tend to see that the sixes um, become mo more comfortable with being the adult self doing the reparenting. Um, sometimes sixes at the beginning or for the whole time choose to do the opposite and do it silently like I will just ask could you do this and it's silent on the other end of things so a lot of our session is silent because they are doing it all inside but they don't feel comfortable saying it all out loud they need to keep it to themselves and I have really learned to respect that that even at the end 
to just be like, okay. And, you know, is there anything you want to share? Sometimes they'll say no. And they'll say, okay. You know, and I always check in and ask feedback, was that helpful? Does this feel safe? Does it feel good? And if they report yes, then we just do it that way. And that feels really good for them. So it's actually, you know, actually, as I'm saying this out loud, realizing, oh, that really tends to, um, that speaks to the counterphobic phobic sort of aspect. Yeah. I, I, maybe the, yeah, I don't know which one would be which. Maybe just the fact that that sixes oscillate. And so maybe, right. I don't know if one would tend more towards the other one, just that they're an oscillating kind of type structure. And so that that's what it is. Um, they usually go back to reparenting issues that are that were traumatic, disruptive, chaotic, or unsafe. Like there's a reason why sixes have that type structure. It's usually because there were things... Um, that were real in their childhood that felt very unsafe and that they couldn't trust caregivers, institutions, people that were meant to keep them safe. Um, and they go back and they create that safety for that younger child. Um, they alter the remembrance to incorporate a sense of safety, which is often really key for sixes. So they're working on, they're working on their inner sense of safety while working while trying to keep themselves safe during the reparenting session as well yes oh that's such a good way to say that thank you for saying that that way yeah but I mean because obviously that's what they're focusing on a lot often right is safety in in some capacity so yeah my dad's a six so it's so interesting to me how they're right they're always oscillating they're on this pendulum that Mm -hmm. can swing so easily so it's fascinating to me that they're just trying to, I know you mentioned earlier that we're all just trying to protect ourselves in, in nine different ways. That's a big part of it, yes. but I, they're just so honed in on the safety piece in general, right? I'm not worried about safety. I have tools to keep me safe as a two, but I'm not, I rarely think about safety. I should probably think about it more, um, <laughs> but they, right. That's what they're so hyper fixated on. So it makes a lot of sense that even in the session that they might be dead silent. Yeah. And I really appreciate how, I mean, your wording was so on point. I got goosebumps. It was so good that, yeah. And I, I, as a coach have to really meet them and respect that. Um, I have to, I often say to sixes at the beginning of when we start working together, it's okay if you never 100% trust me. And I usually see their shoulders drop a bit and they're like, oh, thank you. Like just the permission (laughs) because they're not going to anyway. Yeah. So it's not going to happen. So yeah, I love that about you as a coach, really. Like that's that right there. If you're listening, if you're a a listener, that's what meeting someone where they are as a coach is, right? You just might not trust me, right? And, or you just might not like me. Or yeah. whatever it might be, maybe not. Like I tell that. fours, like, I'm never going to fully understand you. And they go, oh, thank you. And then I say, hey. and whatever I say, you're going to say it, re-say that. And in a much more beautiful, metaphorical, like, magical way. And it just never fails. Like, it never, ever fails. I'll say something and I'm like, and, and then they'll restate it. And it's just gorgeous. And we're just, I'm just like, and there you go. Like, that was amazing. <laughs> That's what it's about, that, that meeting people where it is. Sorry, I just wanted to point that out. I think that's such an imperative part of coaching, such an imperative part of working with anyone on your on any kind of inner work. It's so important that you're met where you are. Otherwise, I don't know how you can get where you need to go if you're not starting where you need to start, right? I agree. I think that's why the Enneagram is a useful tool because it helps me as a coach 
have some kind of um, foundation or bedrock to where, as I'm getting to know each new client, where they might just be starting from because of just a typology. It doesn't have to be the end all and be all of everything. It gives me a basis to start from. I want to be clear. That was my phone that rang, not Melissa's. (laughs) My own phone. Okay. I didn't even hear it. So. Oh, good. Good. I'm sure everyone else did. Um, Sevens. I'll be fascinated to hear about sevens Sevens. work. Sevens often come through parenting because they want to try something new. Like, Ooh, a fun new thing Ah, to try. Okay. Or because they've hit upon something dark in their past that they can't reframe or shake. Um, it's like a, they they find something, they get into the deep, dark, sad, and they go, oh, my God, like, I got to get out of the deep, dark, sad. How do I do that? And so they hear about reparenting. They go, oh, maybe that's the way I can get out of it, um, which is, again, fine. We honor that. We love that. Like, it's how your structure keeps you safe. Um, so. For what I've experienced with sevens is it's really important for them to feel freedom in the process, that it is not formulaic so that every single time we do reparenting, it's different. Um, They often want to take the reins. Like they really, which you would not really expect of sevens. So again, and this doesn't apply to all sevens, but it's just what I've experienced. They really want to be able to like flex be able to move and, and say, well, that doesn't feel right. Can we do it that way? Or that doesn't feel right. Can we do it that way? So that they have the freedom to kind of make it exactly what feels right in that moment for them. And a lot of times reparenting comes after they've told a really long story. Um, It's almost like the stories are the pathway into the painful things for sevens, because that's how they speak in general. So I have to, I've noticed, I really have to, when I work with sevens, take a back seat, be very quiet, let them get the stories out, listen carefully and ask questions about the story. Not enough trying to force anything, but because they've come to me for reparenting, ask questions that get into, well, could, could this be what is going on? You know, could I heard this, could this be what's happening? And then if we get to like, a you know, know, the veins and rocks, you know, if you hit a vein, it goes deep. Um, Sometimes the stories that we hit the veins and we go deep. Um, They will often find in reparenting that their adult self can hold more depth and sadness than they thought because they allow the child to get out what was repressed because it was unsafe to feel the sadness. It was too sad. It was too overwhelming to feel the sad, to feel the dark. When they go back and the adult self gives them the permission and is there with them, they're not alone. They realize that they actually have a lot more capacity for the full spectrum of things. Um, They find actually the freedom to be free. You know, if you're only experiencing one half of the emotionality spectrum, you're not really free. When you experience the whole thing, you're free. And so they report like a lot of self-love and acceptance, um, the ability to have more boundaries around people telling them what they should do or be like, they actually find more freedom in going into these deeper, darker places. 
that's real freedom. You, you said it perfectly around if you're only experiencing, right? Like those higher end of emotions, no matter the type, if you're only experience person, if you're only allowing yourself to experience these emotions, but not the other ones, there's really not a lot of freedom in that. You're still caged a little bit. And it can, yeah. be, it can be really fucking hard being free, but oh, sevens, that's beautiful work for them. Yeah. They, they're usually surprised. But then they also like being surprised. So it's like a win-win. They're like, oh, I'm surprised by like this. And they're like, oh, wait, but I love it. Like, it's so fun. So, yeah. Do you feel like they also, similar to threes, enjoy the fact that they can like handle something, like one thing at one session and have have actual, you know, results in one session or maybe not? I think at the beginning, yes. But as we go on, it's really interesting. I found that they tend to want to marinate it in it a little bit more. They actually like the experience of it. They feel more grounded and embodied and they like how that they report liking how that feels in their body. Oh, good for them. I know. Right. So fun. That. If you're listening, you deserve that. You deserve to feel that way. Yes. Totally. Okay. Talk about eights. This is my favorite structure. I know you're not supposed to have like a favorite child. I have a favorite child. This is your favorite child? Here, I don't care. And I do. And it's eights. (laughs) eights. (laughs) That's hilarious. Um, Type eights. Um, I wrote when I was thinking about it and writing down my notes, I wrote eights come to reparenting through the back door. Um, They usually don't say I want to come to do reparenting. They come to me in my experience. So maybe other coaches might have a different experience. So you don't want to like pigeonhole this. I'm just kind of sharing my experience. I get eight clients that want to do life coaching, Enneagram coaching, grief coaching, some of the other modalities. Um, And we work for a while on that. And the inner child tends to come up if we get to a deeper place, like if we get through some of the armor, we get through the chinks. And a lot of times I'm a five. So with me in particular, as a coach eights, I think really like that. I'm no bullshit with them. Like I'm not scared of them. I can see through a lot of the BS and call them on it. And they adore that and love that. Like when, when an eight says, fuck you, Melissa, excuse, can I swear? Sorry. Okay. Okay. When an eight says like, fuck you, Melissa, I'm like, all right, we got somewhere. Like, because I know that it's like, oh, they see me. She sees me. So this is what I say with reparenting. If I see something that connects to a child, like a child self or a child part, I will ask permission. I will say, this is what reparenting is. I ask for consent and permission. Because if you do anything with an eight without consent or permission, it's a no-go. It'll be detrimental and harmful. If they give consent, the adult self and the child self meet and it's, <laughs> I might cry. Uh, it's so amazing because that eight that is so strong and so powerful and powerful, not only for themselves, but powerful for all of their loved ones, powerful for the vulnerable in the world, powerful against injustice. I mean, but they have these big, giant, tender, loving, juicy hearts that all 
tether back to this really innocent, beautiful little child. And when that really strong eight meets that beautiful, tender little child, the amount of compassion and love there is just the only word for it is magical. It's magical. And what happens is the adult self gives the child self the permission to play. Then the child self gives the adult, the, once the child self has some healing happen, that play comes in to the adult eight's world. And when an adult eight can play and play with curiosity, you know, where you don't have to be so um, tensed against, where you can be curious into, that's magical. So I love reparenting for eights and, and it doesn't take away any of their strength that actually adds the tenderness and the vulnerability and the child self being able to come out and be healed adds, adds to their strength, in my opinion. Yes. And everything you just said, I was like, this is why I just find them to be just so fascinating. Um, I think they're, to me, I don't know if you feel the same way. I feel like they're the most misunderstood types. Totally. I feel that way if they're women. I especially yes. feel that way if they're women of color. Like, Oh my gosh, yes. It's black woman and, yes. your, and you lead with a type eight. I yes. obviously, as a white woman, cannot imagine the levels of complexity that comes with that. Um, but just being an eight in general, regardless of gender, race, anything, um, I just find them to be so misunderstood because they do have those squishy hearts, those big squishy hearts that they're just trying to protect. So I love this work. I love hearing how this work could impact them and allow them to tap into that heart in a more safe way. And maybe yeah. other people to tap into that heart. I know the beauty of being loved deeply by a type eight. And I'm like, oh my God, world, world, you're missing something very special. I'm not going to share mine with you, but you should go find your own. <laughs> you should go, go find, find your yeah. own. <laughs> go this find your own eight. This one's my, mine. my sister is an eight and she is my chosen sister not because she chose me and I had no choice in the matter we ha I have a son who is adopted and he is one of many children that were adopted out of the foster care system and so my sister who wasn't my sister at the time adopted two of his biological siblings and we were connected through the foster care world and our families just sort of came together. Oh, it sounds, it's, so we're going to use Glennon Doyle's words because we know we love Glennon here. It's, it was brood. It's brutal. Um, she has five kids and I have two and uh, there's adoption and foster care. There's two biological and no, I'm sorry. So this is how bad I am with numbers. She, my sister has six kids. Excuse me. I always, they have five adopted from foster care one biological, I have one biological, one adopted. Okay. It's a beautiful mess. It's brutal. It's yeah. gorgeous and wonderful. It's also hard as hell with all those foster kids and all their trauma. Um, but I have a sister who's an eight and she, once we got to know each other and she trusted me, she was like, you are a sister for all time. So she's my like, you know, Glennon has sister. I have sister and she's an eight and she is amazing and wonderful. And I adore her. You know what it is then, you know. I know I have my own, I have my very own eight, but I also want to really say um, what you said about eight women, especially, and also people who identify as women of color, not yes. identify, but people, women who are uh, of color and are eights. 
I would say if you're going to do reparenting and you're a person of color, also look for people that you can do work with that are of color, honestly, yeah. because reparenting, we're, since you brought that up, um, that might not always be available, but um, if you can find, I had a client once who I referred out to a therapist, but I said, you know, I really would encourage you to find a woman who is a Latina, like to do this work with. Um, and they ended up really thanking me for that because that was really important that their culture and their history and their, you know, how they identified was really important. So of course you can all I, find that. I think that's really important. Being able to be truly seen in that, in, yes. your, in your own culture, right? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Totally. Love hearing that. Okay. And Mine, certainly but not, not least, not least y'all. We would never, not, never, never, <laughs> a thousand percent. Um, and in my uh, Instagram, sometimes the nines are like, we're always last. And I was like, I do series where I put nines first just because. So you're, so you're not that rotate. I literally go every other one for them. And one, nine, I one. love that. I love that. I love that you do that. I, I need to be more intentional about that because they should not come last at all. Um, so similar to type twos, type nines tend to come into reparenting because it sort of finally trickles into their, uh, knowingness that they don't know themselves. Um, it's usually in a painful way, to be honest, in my experience. Um, it's like the pain of not knowing themselves becomes too intense. And the whole thing of nines is like having the inside and the outside kind of be like a peaceful calm. And when they realize I don't know themselves, that knowing that they don't know themselves is too painful. So like, got to fix that, right? So reparenting is often interesting to them because it's a way of going back and knowing themselves in a way that maybe just talking about who they are, they, you know, ask a nine who they are and they're like, I don't know, you know, but like, maybe if you can go back to like, when I was a kid, they could tell you stories about when they were a kid and it gets like more of a context. Um, I think reparenting is attractive to nines and why they might tend to come also is because there's going to be someone there to help them remember. So it's not just them on their own. They have help to do so. So a lot of times you ask a nine a question and they there's a blank, like a true blank. Not that they've consciously made there be a blank. It's the type blanking something out because knowing it is too dangerous or feeling it or having an opinion about it or sensing it is too dangerous. And so the type ego structure blanks that out, but it's still there. So it's really helpful to have somebody who knows that about nines and can ask questions around the question until the ego relaxes a bit. And then, then we get somewhere because they'll start answering the other questions that aren't the main question. And then usually, and I'll be like, oh, and that O is like, okay, once we can get to like an O, then the adult self becomes more of a reality and they can move back into talking to the child self. Um, what I often find is that there's a lot of anger and rage first in reparenting. They experience a lot of anger and rage because they've repressed themselves for so long. They're mad about that. And then 
when they go back and and embody that rage in healthy ways, punching, hitting a punching bag, a pillow, um, taking a run, taking the anger and moving it through the body in a safe, structured way, um, the adult self feels sad usually after. Like underneath all the rage is sadness for the younger child self. And then they see the, the child self and there's this like reconnection, you know, a lot of nines are so worried about losing connection. They connect back to themselves and they get that unity and peace and oneness and connection that they've longed for for so long within themselves and it can't be broken. And so that is what they then bring back into the presence is like unbreakable connection. And it's like so cool because I mean, the things that we can do for ourselves is just, I don't know, kind of awesome. So yeah, when they do that, I mean, they, they tend to find a lot more memories come up. Like if a four comes with like a long list, a nine kind of comes with nothing and then they find a longer list and work through it. That's a good parallel right there. I like that. Yeah. And I wonder if they also, also realize how capable they are, right? Like I think oh, yeah. a lot of nines I know don't realize how powerful they are, right? Like, and I can so have so much compassion around the not knowing yourself, obviously for a little bit different of a reason, but the nines I know, I'm like, you don't know how amazing you are. You don't have a clue how wonderful you are. You don't know how capable you are. And I just... I know that can be said in nine different ways, right? And some on some level, but an empowered nine, I find to be the most powerful of all, all the types. Like once they can really connect and come home to themselves. Oh, mm, I love it. I think, I think I would agree that, yeah, when, what they come out of it with is embodied, embodiedness, empowerment, all the things you just listed. And also um, the ability to, change their world right like they actually like they do stuff <laughs> to just put it plainly they start doing the things that they really want to do and they're so able to do it that it's like it's it's magic again it's it's magical it's really cool I do find them to be a magical person like a magical people I just find nines to be very magical anyway so yeah, I, I'm a five and I don't know how they understand everybody. Like it, when they describe it, it's almost like they describe embodying being all the other nine types. They feel not just in their hearts, like they can get the mind and the heart and the body. They, they really understand, but in a full being kind of way, everybody else. And so I think it's the work of a, a practitioner, a, a helper, a coach, a therapist to give that gift back. Yeah. Right. They don't even and, know they have it. Yeah. And how vital and necessary they are. It, we need them. We do. We do. Yes. Please give all the people, please give me all the people who are inclusive. They're the, I like to say they're the, you can sit with us, which very much simplifies a nine, but just from an inclusive standpoint, but they're very intuitive. And so I just... Anytime I hear them doing any kind of work, whether it's reparenting, therapy, any kind of healing inner work to come home to themselves, I'm like, just keep going down that path. Like yes. that's, that's the right path. Yeah. The more that they can do that for themselves, the better they are able to bring that out into the world. Yeah. Oh, 
Okay. That's all nine types. Are there any other resources maybe you have coming up you'd like to talk about? In terms of me, honestly, no, I have a pretty full practice at the moment. I'm, I'm, I think we've talked about this. I'm really in a season of like knowing who I am and embodying that for myself. And a lot of most coaches do groups, workshops. And at the moment, me being me in my stage of life where I'm at right now is one-on-one coaching. I adore it. I love it. It lights me up. It makes me happy. You're excellent. Um, you. Thank you very much. I received that gratefully. I have some openings. So if people are interested in one-on-one coaching, um, you can go to any of the links with Enneagram paths. It'll have my link tree on it, which you could click on coaching and email me through there. If there's a form and, um, and if I don't have a space right now, I will have one in the next few months. It's, I always have people coming in and people coming out. So it's never, even if it's full, it won't be full for all of the days. It'll be full for a little while and I'll have space soon. So that's, that's really what I have going on. I'm also a mom. So I have, um, a lot of momming that I do. <laughs> a lot of momming. <laughs> said every mom, a lot of momming. Do you a, have lot, a lot of momming. Are you working on anything that you're writing, like a book? Yes, actually. Thank you for reminding me that I am doing that. I am working with the amazing, wonderful Mandy Capehart, who is a grief coach. And she and I started collaborating about two years ago, and then we became friends. And we started seeing how grief, I started seeing grief in my Enneagram practice, and of course, got more, learned more about it, got more certifications in it, things like that. And she just lives and breathes her grief work all the time. She's just like an expert at it. And then started incorporating the Enneagram because kind of like reparenting, the Enneagram gives you a framework in a, in a, a chaotic, grief is chaotic, just is. So in the same way, healing can feel very chaotic. You don't know what to do. Um, some of these frameworks go together really well. And we just started talking. So we are currently working on a book proposal for um, Enneagram and uh, grief processing. And we're really excited about it. I can't wait. Mandy has been on the podcast. I have not launched that episode though, because I wanted to get my rebranding finished first. I plan to make graphics based on the conversations and I wanted to, to do that justice. Same with this one, but that rebranding just happened last week. So I am very excited for you and Mandy to continue working together. That series, just the Instagram series you did, right? Which is just content that just happens to be on the inter- that happens to be on Instagram. Um, was very powerful. I got tons of feedback when I reposted it from people. I still get feedback from people. And I think that was like really a, over a yes over. Oh, a, wow. That's cool. Like they, they save it. They come back to it. It's very powerful, very powerful. So I'm thrilled to hear that you guys are putting that out or two of you are putting that out into the world on a much bigger scale. It needs to be out there. Yeah. So if there's any, uh, agent book agents out there listening, you know, shoot us you know go slide into our uh literature dms and <laughs> literature dms literature dms i just made that up so um yeah we will be shopping it around to agents once once the proposal is done but if there was any a contact earlier than that if you're an agent or a publisher 
we are open to hearing from you. Yeah, please. All, all of the contact information will be in the show notes where you can leave, reach out directly to Melissa. Yeah, Mandy will eventually be on there. So, and Mandy too. Yeah. Maybe. I can yeah. see you guys just flowing together so well. So well. She is an, she is an eight, we have to say. So <sighs> she yeah. is in all her glory. I love it so much. I adore the both of you. Thank you so much for coming on. This was beautiful. I already know this is going to touch a lot of people's hearts and hopefully lead them to this kind of work if this is what they feel called to. Exactly. I think that's the whole point of it is that pay attention to what feels right for you and what feels good in your body and in your soul and your heart and mind and um, do the things that make you feel good. Yeah, that's all it is, right? Yeah. And thank you so much for having me on. You're the best. Worse, worse. It's an honor. Okay. Thanks for being on. Thank you.